Today on Daily Hope with Pastor Rick Warren, we continue in our riveting journey through the series, The Invisible War. In it, we'll explore the unseen world of good and evil and see how it impacts our day-to-day existence. Join us for eye-opening biblical insights into the spiritual dimensions that influence our lives in ways we never imagined. Right now, here's Pastor Rick Warren with part one of a message called, Making the Hard Changes in Me. This week I uh, learned two new terms. One of them was called unavoidable defects, and the other was called the zero defect mentality. Now, unavoidable defects is a term that the FDA uses to refer to the amount of contamination they allow in your food. And since some of you are having a difficult time with the Daniel plan, I thought that I would uh, provide a loving service and inform you of some of the contamination in your favorite junk food. (laughs) Then maybe you wouldn't want to eat it as much anymore. For instance, you like pizza? Oh, you love pizza. The FDA allows 30 fly eggs per 100 grams of pizza sauce. You like chocolate? In 100 grams, the government allows 60 insect parts. You like potato chips? The government allows up to 6% of the chips in a bag to be rotten. You like pasta? I love pasta, not anymore. They should call me Pasta Rick. But um, the FDA allows in six samples of pasta, 225 insect fragments. Mmm, yummy. So you're getting protein then with your pasta, so. Now how about a peanut butter and jelly sandwich on wheat bread? I mean, what could be better than that, okay? Now, peanut butter and jelly sandwich on wheat bread, the, you don't, you're not gonna love it anymore after you hear this. Cherry jam can have up to 30% mold. 100 grams of peanut butter, the government allows 25 milligrams of dirt, 30 insect fragments, and two rodent hairs. (laughs) Yummy. All right. And uh, in every kilogram of wheat, the government allows nine milligrams of rat poop. How many of you are now gonna go on the Daniel plan with me? May I see your hands? Yeah, that's what's called unavoidable defects. At the same time, I read another term that I hadn't heard of, and that is zero defect mentality. It actually started about 20 years ago when a guy named uh, Philip Philip Crosby, he he wrote a book called Quality is Free, and it's a very famous book on uh, manufacturing, saying that we should have zero defects in manufacturing. But really, can you do that? This week I was reading a a, a book on software programming, and it was saying there's no way you can have zero defects in software programming. And I, I read this quote, I thought it was interesting. It said, the fastest way to kill motivation, the fastest way to kill motivation It's what the Army calls, the U.S. Army calls, having a zero defect mentality. Now, zero defect mentality is an atmosphere that tolerates absolutely no mistakes. Perfection is required down to the smallest detail, and the Army considers a zero defect mentality a serious leadership failure because it kills the initiative necessary for success on any battlefield. Now you see, if you apply this to your life, you try to live a zero defect life, you will always be paralyzed by indecision. You will run from responsibility because you're afraid of making mistakes. You'll have a difficult time making decision. 
You'll have a difficult time uh, accepting responsibility. You will live with unrealistic pressure and unresolved guilt because everybody has defects. Nobody's perfect. Nothing is perfect on this planet except the word of God. It's all broken. Every relationship is broken. Every body is broken. The weather's broken. The economy's broken. And if you try to live with this zero defect mentality, you're going to be frustrated your entire life. The Bible tells us this. Look at a couple of verses up here on screen. The Bible says there's not a single person on all the earth who's always good and never sins. There are no, no defect people. Not a just man upon the earth that does good and, and sins not. Uh, James chapter three, verse two says this on the screen in the message paraphrase. None of us is perfectly qualified. We get it wrong nearly every time we open our mouths. Anybody wanna agree with that part? Yeah, okay. If you could find someone whose speech was perfectly true, you'd have a perfect person in perfect control of life. The truth is, we're all defective. We all have parts of our lives, parts of our personality, parts of our relationships that simply don't work. We're all defective. The Bible says it like this in, in, in Romans chapter 3, 23. All have sinned. That means you, me, the Pope, everybody else. All have sinned. Nobody's perfect. All have fallen short. None of us measure up to standard of perfection. None of us bat a thousand. And so to pretend like you've got it all together, when everybody knows you don't have it all together, it's kind of silly. In fact, the Bible tells us it's actually self-deception. We have an amazing ability to lie to ourselves. And in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, it says this. If we claim to be sinless, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We've all got our flubs, we've all got our failures, we've all got our mistakes and faux pas and sins, and shoot, I don't measure up to my own standards, much less God's. Now, what I wanna say as we begin this weekend is, you will never be sinless on this planet, but it is possible to sin less. You're never gonna be sinless, but it is possible to sin less, and it is possible to deal with your defects. And that's what we're gonna look at at this weekend. And I, I want us to just look at a couple things. Why is it so hard to change stuff in me that I really don't like about myself that I'd like to change? Why is that so hard? And then what does it take to change? And we're gonna look at the classic passage in the Bible on this, Ephesians chapter four, which gives us the six requirements for personal change what it takes to change those deeply ingrained defects in your life that you don't like, you don't wanna carry on with you the rest of your life, and you really would like to change them. What does it take to change those things? First, why is it so hard? Why is it so hard to change the stuff in me that I don't like? Well, there are four reasons. I put a little space there at the top of your outline. You could just write these in there. Four reasons why it's hard to change some of the defects in our, in our life. That's what we're talking about, the hard stuff that just seems to be stubborn and, and resistant. Number one, the first reason is because I've had them so long. I've had my defects so long, I'm actually pretty comfortable with them. Now, you didn't get the way you are overnight. I mean, it took a long time for you to get as messed up as you are. <laughs> It didn't happen overnight, it took years. 
And uh, some of the patterns that you have, your fears, your anxieties, your faults, and the way you react in self-defeating ways, uh, you know, you developed them in childhood, maybe in, res- you know, in resistance or uh, to, a, to a pain or to, as a stress coping device. And, and maybe it was a survival tactic as a kid, but you're an adult and you still act that way. And you're not a kid anymore. Uh, but the, the truth is you've had these defects in your life for a long time and they may be self-defeating, but at least they're familiar. And you're comfortable with them and you know what it is. Second reason that I have a hard time dealing with my defects is because I identify with them. I not only have had them for a lifetime, but I identify with them. And this is a real big problem because we often confuse our identity with our defects. You are not your defects. You are not your faults. You are not your sins. They may be something you do, but they're not your identity. In other words, a lot of people, rather than saying, I work too much, will say, I'm a workaholic. Or instead of saying, you know, I have a tendency to to put off and procrastinate, they say, I'm lazy. You create it as an identity. And you may say, you know, I'm timid, or I'm shy, or I tend to just say what I want to think, or I'm aggressive, or I'm passive, or or, uh, I'm fearful. And you start identifying with your defects. You are not your defects. This, by the way, is the difference between Celebrate Recovery, which is Saddleback's biblical-based recovery program, and something like, say, Alcoholics Anonymous. In Alcoholics Anonymous, a person will stand up and they will say, hi, I'm Joe and I'm an alcoholic. In other words, they identify their identity with their defect. I'm Joe and I'm an alcoholic. But in Celebrate Recovery, we will stand up and say, hi, I'm Joe, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ who struggles with alcohol. You see the difference? You are not your sin. You are not your defect. You see, a lot of people think because I have a certain tendency, a certain lust, a certain attraction, uh, a certain fault, a, a certain habit, then that is me, and they say, I am, and then name it. No, no, you're not your identity. Now this is so important because when you see yourself connected to your defect, you set yourself up to perpetuate it. In other words, if you say, you know, I'm always nervous when I get on a plane. When you get on a plane, guess what's gonna happen? You're gonna be nervous. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. And if you tell yourself, I'm always late, guess what, you're gonna always be late or I'm this, or I'm that, then you're gonna act in according to your identity. And then that keeps you from changing because unconsciously I think, you know, if this is me, then if I change, who am I? And all of a sudden your identity is kinda messed up because you have identified yourself with a particular way of acting, thinking, attracting, desiring, lusting, or whatever. It's hard to change because I've had my defects all my life. It's hard to change because I tend to identify with them. Number three, it's hard to change because my defects have a payoff. There is a reward to everything you do. People don't do things that aren't rewarded. And whatever is rewarded gets repeated. And if 
you're doing something that you know isn't good for you or it's self-destructive or it's ruining a relationship or messing up your marriage or it's destroying your finances or whatever, it's because there is some kind of payoff, an emotional payoff, a relational payoff, and maybe you don't see it, but we don't do things that aren't rewarded. Anytime a negative behavior gets repeated over and over and over, maybe in a little kid, maybe in a grown adult, you see something being done over and over and over. Maybe you say, I don't like to do this, but I do it anyway. You're still getting some kind of payoff. And part of what you've got to figure out, the Bible tells us to examine ourselves, to figure out, what's the payoff? Why do I keep doing this? Because you don't do things without a payoff. Maybe temporary. You know, kids set their moms up to yell. <laughs> I mean, a mom says, kids, come down to dinner. Nobody comes down to dinner. Kids, come down to dinner. You guys get down here right now. And the kids come down. They are training their mom to yell. Why? Because the, she learns the payoff is if I yell, I get action. Okay, now that's true in every area of life. Now I don't know what the payoff is for the, the defects you have in your life. Maybe it's to mask your pain. Maybe it's to cover up a few a fear, maybe it's to give you an excuse to fail, maybe it's to compensate for guilt, maybe it's to get back at somebody, a former spouse or a parent. I, I, I really don't know. It may be giving you attention, but there is a payoff to everything you do. And that's why it's hard to change even stuff we don't like about ourselves because we don't often know why we do it. Now there's a fourth reason why it's difficult to change these hard ingrained defects in our lives, and that is because Satan discourages me. Satan discourages me. He wants you to stay stuck in your stuckness. And so he's constantly suggesting negative thoughts. As I've said to you many times, when uh, you know, uh, God gives you an idea, we call that inspiration. When Satan gives you an idea, we call that temptation. When you get an idea, we call it stupidity. No, I'm just kidding. But the, the truth is, you get thoughts in your mind all your time. And Satan is constantly, once you start trying to work on something in your life that you want to change, he starts saying, who do you think you are? You're never going to change. You haven't been able to change in the past. You think you're going to be able to change now? What do you think you're doing? You can't change. It's hopeless. It's not going to work. And when it starts working, you say, it's not going to work very long. And you may as well give up. And then sometimes Satan starts putting fears in your mind when you start trying to change some things or letting God change you. And he starts saying, you know, if you rock the boat, something really bad may happen. If you rock the boat in this relationship, they may walk out on you. If you rock the boat in this relationship, they may not love you anymore. If you rock the boat, nobody's gonna like you. Where do you think those fears are coming from? They're being planted in your mind. Now, these things keep us from wanting to change or keep us from changing the ingrained things that we know are not good for us, that are unhealthy. So what does it take to change those deep patterns in my life that I really don't like about me? It takes six things. There are six requirements. We're gonna look at them today from Ephesians chapter four. If you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter four. If you don't, all of the verses are written out there uh, on your outline. Ephesians four, verses 21 to 27 says this. Since you have heard all about Jesus and you have learned the truth that is in him, 
Throw off your old evil nature and your former way of life. That's rotten through and through, full of lust and deception. In other words, we deceive ourselves. Instead, there's got to be a new, a spiritual renewal of your thoughts and your attitudes. You must put on the new nature. See, he says, put off the old, put on the new. Put on the new nature because you're a new person, created in God's likeness, righteous and holy and true. So, put away all falsehood. That means stop faking it, stop posing, stop pretending you got it all together. Put away all falseness and tell your neighbor the truth because we belong. We belong to each other. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. For anger gives a mighty foothold to the devil. Now in this passage, it talks about the six requirements for personal change. There are six requirements. You gotta have all six of these in your life to make these changes. Number one, change requires learning the truth. That's the first requirement. Change requires learning the truth. Now, you know this famous quote of Jesus. Jesus said, when you know the truth, the truth will what? Set you free, yeah. And you're not gonna be free until you know the truth. Now, Paul starts in this very same thing in verse 21. He says, since you have heard all about Jesus and you have learned the truth, circle that, the truth that is in him. Now, if you don't get anything else I say today, get this. The secret to personal change is not a pill, it's not a program, it's not a process, it's not therapy, it's not a book, a seminar, it's not positive thinking or psychology or anything else. The proof of personal change is found in the truth. You've got to know and face the truth. You've got to know and face the truth about yourself before you can change. You've gotta know and face the truth about your relationships before you can change. You've gotta know and face the truth about your past before you can change. You've gotta know and face the truth about God before you can change. You've gotta know and face the truth about your habits, your hurts, your hangups. You've gotta know and face the truth about your potential and your talents. You've gotta know and face the truth about others Brothers, sisters, parents, everybody, all those kind of things. You've got to know and face the truth about God's purpose for your life. Nothing changes until you start with the bedrock of truth. If you don't know the truth about these things, you are building on a phony, fake, false foundation. And it's going to crumble when you hit the road winds of life. Now, why is it so important to learn the truth for anything I want to change in life? I'll tell you why. Because... Behind every self-defeating behavior in my life is a lie I'm believing. Behind every self-defeating behavior in my life is a lie I'm believing. If you're deeply in debt right now, it's because you believed some lies. You thought, you know, I can just keep charging it forever and I won't and I can get away with it. Oh, really? The entire world governments now know that delayed gratification doesn't work. And maybe you thought, I have to have this house. Oh, really? Do you really have to have this? Is it true? Can you prove it's true? How do you know it's true? Every time you get yourself into problem, it's because you have believed some lie. Like, I have to do this in order to get ahead. I have to do this in order to be liked. I have to do this in order to be happy. Oh, really? 
We lie to ourselves all the time. We have an amazing ability. The biggest liar in your life is you to you. Okay? Because you tell yourself all the time it's no problem when it really is a problem. And you tell yourself it's not a problem. And you tell yourself it is a problem when sometimes it's not. What is it in your life you're pretending isn't a problem? The big elephant in the living room. You got to deal with the truth. I have to know and face the truth, first of all, if I'm going to change. Now, Jesus said the truth will set you free, but first it makes you miserable. And it makes you miserable as long as you deny it. Now, the moment you are honest with the truth about you and everything else in life, then it starts setting you free. Now, who is the truth? Jesus said, I am the truth. Not I have it, not I point the way, not I teach it. He said, I'm it. I am the truth. So you can trust his word, and his word is the Bible. The Bible is good for four things. The Bible tells us what it was given for, why God gave us. Look at this next verse, 2 Timothy chapter 3. All scripture is inspired by God, and it's useful, and it tells us for four things. Number one, to teach us what is true. You got to build it on truth. To make, number two, make us realize what's wrong in our lives. Number three, it straightens us out. And number four, it teaches us to do what is right. It's God's way of preparing us in every way, fully equipped for every good thing God wants us to do. The Bible in that passage says that it was given to us for four things. It's like a path. And it shows us the path to walk on. It shows us when we get off the path. It shows us how to get back on the path. And it shows us how to stay on the path. The theological words for this are doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. It says God's word does four things. It shows you the path to live on. You stay on that path, you're going to have a pretty good life. It shows us when we get off the path, you messed up. That's called reproof. It shows us how to get back on the path. That's called correction. It shows us how to stay on the path. That's called instruction or training in righteousness. So change requires learning the truth. You're listening to Pastor Rick's Daily Hope. We're so happy you've chosen to study along with us today. Here's Pastor Rick with a letter from one of our listeners. Today I want to share with you a note I got in the mail from Alyssa. She wrote, Hi, Pastor Rick. I'm a 33-year-old living in Jamestown, North Dakota, and I'm married with three kids. I just want to thank you so much for your Daily Hope broadcast. I listen to them regularly, and I've learned so much. You know, I realized very quickly that I needed to have a notebook journal available to write down all the notes as I listened to you. I love the convenience that the podcasts have, and I turn them on as I'm getting ready in the morning while I'm cooking or I'm in the car traveling and even when I'm working out, which is great. I've also been sharing them with several people. I often think of specific people that I want to share your podcast with after I've heard your message. I don't know if they've listened to them or not, after I've shared them, but I do know that one of my friends has been regularly listening to you now. And I ran into her at the park when she was jogging, and when she stopped to say hi, I could hear your voice in her earbuds. (laughs) That's great. She's been struggling with a verbally abusive relationship for many years, and I know that your daily hope has helped her. Rick, God has really used you to reach so many people, and I thank you for being obedient to him and his calling to you. I will continue to pray for you. Thank you for impacting my life. 
Alyssa. Well, Alyssa, thank you for sending this message. You know, we live to hear these stories, and I'm so glad to hear how God is using daily hope, not only in your life, but in the life of your friends, because you cared enough to pass it on. So thanks for sharing that podcast with others. I know you're being a blessing to them. And I want to say to the rest of you, have you shared the news of of Daily Hope with anybody? Would you find one person today and recommend that they start listening to Daily Hope, either on the radio or on a podcast or getting the daily devotional through the email? We are here to help you fulfill your mission in sharing Christ with other people. So tell one person today about Daily Hope. If you'd like to bless Pastor Rick by letting him know how much this broadcast has helped you, please send him an email at rick at pastorrick.com. That's rick at pastorrick.com. Be sure to join us next time as we look into God's Word for our daily hope. This program is sponsored by Pastor Rick's Daily Hope and your generous financial support.